0: We will overcome. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our
1: testimony.
2: Welcome back to the Twelve Eleven podcast. Um, today we're. We are continuing our. It's somewhat of a series on, on tragedy. On uh, you know, we started out talking about uh, on the Tear Off the Roof podcast with with the Tarver Braddock, the death of Tarver Braddock, and <clears throat> just the impact it's had on our community. And and then we went into a- April Rogers came on and shared her story and and losing a brother and losing many other family members. And last week you heard. Uh, tally and Tally talk about the loss of his daughter, and, and today I've got I've got three brothers and one of their best friends today here to to share their story and and talk about how they have uh, dealt with tragedy and how God has brought them through it on the other side of it, and uh, it's just a beautiful story of some not so beautiful events. So, um, what I I've got Thomas Taylor and Matt Reeves here today and one of their best friends, Cade Stone. So uh, welcome, guys. Thank Thanks for having, Thank us. for having us. Never done it with, with four guys here, so we're going to do our best to to uh, allow the audience to know who's talking. And uh, so we just, we're going to ask for grace in advance. So I um, want to kind of talk a little bit about the the family dynamic and, and how I, I became to know uh, these families and because I'm a little bit older than them they, they laugh at that but i um, I knew their dads before I ever knew them and so I knew Darren Reeves Darren and I uh, wh- I was in college and I met Darren he was doing insurance and uh, he asked me and Michael Harvey to, to do some odds and ends jobs and uh, bartend their their Christmas parties and, and insurance parties and things of that nature and so uh, that's how I knew the Reeves boys daddy and, and uh, Scott Stone was a coach he he coached at Ouachita when I played at Neville so I'm definitely way older than you Cade but um so that's how I knew the family um, and so it's it's a really unique family Scott and Blake Scott Stone and Blake Harrington their wives own Herring Stones uh, Cindy Stone and and Debbie Harrington and and Blake Harrington and Darren Reeves were best friends and so therefore all these three families were intertwined at, at different ages uh, at, of your your childhood. So just wanted to allow these guys to, to share their story a little bit about growing up before we get into what they have been through and, and how God has brought them through it. So I'm going to start with the oldest, Thomas being the oldest. I'm going to let you kind of talk about uh, what it was like growing up in a house full of knuckleheaded boys. So <laughs> take it away, buddy.
3: Uh, yeah, knuckleheaded boys is a great... Uh, descriptive term. We, we were always running in, running out, playing outside, playing sports, back and forth. Uh, we grew up in a, in, a, in a very privileged home, very grateful for the upbringing that we had. We we had a lot of love. We got to do a lot of things that a lot of people don't get to do. And I got to share a lot of really cool memories with my two brothers and mom and dad and, and all of our surrounding friends. It was just a good time growing up like that. Um, it, it it definitely helped set the foundation for things that I later left it by the wayside. But you know, growing up that way, it, it truly was a, a beautiful thing. And and mom and dad did a did a, a bang up job of of creating that loving
2: atmosphere when we were younger, for sure. So, um, Taylor, you're you're the middle child, and, and I, I can certainly relate to that. I've got an older sister and an older, older uh, or younger sister, but um, talk a little bit about it from your perspective. Do you have anything different to, uh, to shed on the, on, the, on the upbringing?
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same. Um, we grew up, we never went without Loving House. Um, there was three of us. I think Thomas and I were like 17 months apart. Matt's two years behind me, so we had three boys real close together. I can only imagine how hectic it was for our parents, you know, between sports, school, hunting, everything else. You know, it was always something. Um, It was playing outside. It was going to practice on and on. And uh, my childhood is, I have great memories of my childhood.
2: So Matthew, earlier we talked and you, we talked about maybe you being picked on, but you said that was not the case. Oh, no, I used to whoop up on them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it, it started to scare me and Thomas at a young age when he was very young because when he got mad, he beat his own head into the floor. So we were like, I don't know if Listen. we want to mess with him.
3: He's not hitting me, he's hitting the I
0: floor. I think he's I'm, got a
1: permanent I'm, dent in his forehead. In his
3: forehead. <laughs>
0: People are gonna think I'm crazy now.
3: That was <laughs> <laughs> just your scare
2: tactics. I like
0: it. <laughs> hey, look, I, I don't. I don't know why. I used to do that. I used to just get mad. I mean,
2: got to defend yourself. Yeah,
0: man. and I. You know, it didn't hurt my head. So having to come by and be like, "What are you doing? <laughs> Stop! Hit them! What is this?" Look, I don't get mad too often, but you know, if you make me mad, I'm gonna get real mad. <laughs> um, no, but to piggyback off of Thomas and Taylor. Um, we were very fortunate um, growing up, grew up in a beautiful big house on Deborah Drive. Um, I remember playing football and, and when I drive by that our old house even now I wonder how did we play so much football in that front yard
1: <laughs> Every time I drive by
0: on, on Pegram Circle uh, but it was every it was every day. it was riding bikes, it was playing outside um, and it was sports and it was hunting. And um, we had, we were fortunate enough. Dad was in a, a club that we used to call Mossback. That's um, where we grew up. Dad taught us how to deer hunt. Um, back then, you couldn't feed or anything like that, and you know had to do it scouting all days. Yeah. And, yeah. and me and Taylor still talk about it. We we miss that kind of hunting. Um, yeah, but
2: you but you still feed now.
0: Well, yeah, you got to. <laughs> <laughs> got to keep up. Yeah. Still got it. Still still hunting involved. Uh, Yes. But it was baseball, football, soccer, deer hunting. We we were also blessed with uh, our grandfather. Our mom's dad has a place in Bastrop, so we were able to, you know, grow up hunting there close um, and get serious at Mossback. So, yeah, it was our childhood was good.
2: And so, Cade, you, you come into the picture uh, sometime in, in, the, in your early years, but just talk a little bit about your childhood, how it was very similar to theirs, and then kind of talk about how you and, and these boys became, you and Matt for sure, and then you became friends with all of them. Yeah, um... Actually, it's crazy. I didn't even know Taylor and Thomas were 17 months apart. Uh, me and my older brother are 17 months apart as well. So uh,
3: just another thing that uh, we have in common. But uh, me and my childhood is a lot like theirs. It was a lot of sports. It was a lot of hunting. Um, nothing but love in my household. Uh, I, my dad was a coach, so he was he was pretty hard on us, but he just wanted the best for us. Um, he was... He was always there for us, same with mom. Um, we were very privileged, uh, kind of like they, they all said uh, we got to do things that, that other kids didn't, weren't fortunate enough to do. So uh, looking back on my childhood, it was always something going on, and, and all I remember is uh, good, good memories, uh, even though me and my brother
2: were, were heathens growing up.
0: They, a bit. they used to hit each other in the face. Yeah. That's One thing we never we did. Never did.
2: Uh, Dad ingrained in us. Tried to, we tried to kill each other. There's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a place for both of y'all's moms and dads in heaven, I can tell yeah. you this. Yeah. Uh, but,
0: yeah, me and Cade really got close. Uh, we were 12, the old Twin City Tiger days, when travel ball first came out. I uh, remember our first practice was at Bindle, and I was an outfielder. Kay was an outfielder. Cade like talk and yap a lot. We hit it off uh, quick, and uh, I would say since we were 12, we've been thick as thieves since.
2: And so, if you're viewing from another city, another state, uh, you, the Reeves boys, you, you guys grew up. You know, went to Neville High School. Cade, he was on the other side of this river. It's a Washita River. You think it's just a body of water, but there's some type of separation. Cade uh, went to West Monroe and through the blood of Jesus we love everybody now but <laughs> right. back then there was it was a rivalry so that's a very unique thing to have you know two guys going at rival schools because we did not like West Monroe and they did not like us it was very clear right but uh, that's got to be pretty cool to, to that you guys got to walk through that together as, as buddies. Fox and the Hound. Though. Yeah,
0: it was. Uh, I, I think Thomas, when you were in high school, y'all. I never saw any West Monroe people, and, and Taylor. Y'all hung out maybe later in high school with some some West Monroe, uh friends, but yeah, I feel like when when our whole group, uh, a lot of Cade's buddies and and some of my buddies from Neville, we we hung out throughout high school,
2: and that's just it. Really speaks to to how we are as humans all right we're like we're we're this the division in the world that we live in right now you're black you're white you're there's all these stereotypical descriptions of, of people and we oftentimes just say that's what it is until you sit down and go what man he just goes to a different school you know or he's just a different color than i am like it's all still skin. Until you have a relationship, until you sit down and get to know someone, you're. We often miss out on opportunities to to create friendships, just like you two have, because because the devil nation, the world would say, "What are you doing? Being best friends with a dude from West Monroe? That's 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 against the rules. Against whose rules? You know what I'm saying? God says, love, love everybody, love your neighbor as as yourself, and so. I'm very grateful that that you guys had that, and so um, you guys go through your your younger years. Y'all are playing sports and doing all those things, and then uh, your parents get divorced. And so I want to start with Thomas because you were quite a bit older than than the other guys. Um, talk a little bit about how that affected you, being the older brother, and just from your perspective. Um.
3: In in that particular time, I guess, me being the oldest, neither neither one, my mom nor my dad, knew how to handle this situation. Of course, nobody knows how to handle this situation. There's no playbook for it. Uh, so I got kind of caught up in, you know, he said, she said from time to time. And I think my brothers, and I'm grateful that y'all kind of were shielded from that in a lot of ways. And I, I kind of didn't know where I fell in that equation. I didn't really understand how to take it. Um, but in my mind, I was like, well, what can I do to you know, deal with my pain, my like understanding of what's going on? And I just kind of learned how to manipulate them. I learned how to twist information between one or the other to get something that I wanted or to just make the outcome better for me. So the seeds of selfishness were were there because at that age, I mean, the whole world revolves around you you know it doesn't you, you I couldn't comprehend the idea of somebody being important outside of me for a long time so everything that I did was what am I going to get out of this and that's kind of how my pain manifested and you know mom and dad loved us with everything that they have and they still and, and mom still does but in those times whenever there's hurt and there's pain and there's grief of a relationship ending and and all these things that are happening. It just kinda spills over to some sort of a collateral damage of no fault of anybody. Just trying to figure out how to navigate this impossible situation.
2: Taylor, Matt, you guys can feel free to chime in. Uh, Is there anything that that was different for you going through that?
1: Um, Like Thomas said, I think Matt and I were shielded for more because it's such a pivotal age you start understanding things a lot quicker. 17 months may not seem like a whole lot now, but when you're seven, nine and 11, it's a lot. And um, we, you know, the, the reality is things happen in life and you, you deal with them and your parents do the best job that they can and they absolutely did. Um, Matt and I did not see too much of what Thomas saw uh, just him being the oldest and dealing with what he had to deal with. But there is certain things that you do look back on, like the, the home was loving, warm, everybody in one home, but things happen when divorce happens. Things change. That's just the reality of the situation. And But I don't have any really negative experiences mm-hmm. or, or thoughts on that. Um, because I was so young, so it didn't affect us as much because our dad, our mom gave us everything at all times, so did our dad, and our dad made an effort. He was coaching all of our teams at that point, baseball, football, soccer, everything. he was there, so like you know, you have the set time frames of when you spend time, but our parents were both very, very involved, and we saw both of them at all times. And I think that's what made the difference is them doing that, and everybody still, involved in not having so much you know um that much of a difference in my perspective at my age
2: right matt you got any yeah i'll I'll
0: piggyback off of that i i I think um mom and dad both did uh, as best they could to um you know not allow things to change for us And, and like taylor said obviously divorce things change um and for me i'm i was seven years old um i was old enough to understand what was going on but i wasn't old enough like thomas to really be involved in or or care to be involved i guess uh and i do i want to say one thing that um you know through the through the divorce we us three were very blessed uh with step-parents mm-hmm. um with gary as our stepdad and yvette as our stepmom i mean looking back uh, i can't think of a anyone else i'd rather have as step-parents um you know when you you think about divorce you think of super nasty divorces and and kids hating their step-parents mm-hmm. and you know
3: we didn't have that
0: we didn't, no. and, and I'm so thankful, and, and we're blessed to have that. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's 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 not coincidence that, you know, Gary is was one of Scott Stone's best friends, um, and they hunted together. And so it's obviously divorce. Nobody wants to go through a divorce. Um, right. But uh, our parents did everything they could have to uh, not let it change our schedules
2: we'll fast forward a couple years as you guys get older um, challenges happen you're still you still got loving parents and as as the enemy does there there are different temptations different things that happen in our lives when we're growing up which led thomas and taylor into addiction Uh, so start with big bro Uh, talk a little bit about what road you traveled to get to get to where you were? Where you were like where? How did I get here?
3: Mm-hmm. Man, from a,
2: a young age, uh, I don't know where
3: it came from. I don't know why I felt these the way that I did, but I always felt separated. Uh, I saw Taylor and Matt excel in the sports and and hunting and all these similar interests that they had with Dad, and I would tag along, but it wasn't like I really got into that. So I always kind of felt like I was on the outskirts. And nobody made, like, made me feel that way. I did that to myself. So I grew up with a lot of false ideas about who I was. I grew up with a lot of false beliefs about I'm, I'm alone, that nobody likes me, that I'm not good enough. I was perpetually afraid of every single day when I woke up, I was like, I'm not okay. And I carried that with me for a long time. And again, it had nothing to do with what anybody was telling me. It was this, it's just something that I just decided, and, I, and the enemy just reinforced. Because whenever you're, whatever you're looking for, you'll find. And I kept finding validation of this, this person that I was uh, that was less than. And so I still remember the first time I ever had a beer. It tasted terrible. It was like the worst thing I'd ever had. But then I had eight of them, and I realized that's, that's how I want to feel right there. And I sought that feeling, I got in trouble, I got caught that night and I wasn't able to drink again for like two years and this was when I was like 14. And I remembered that feeling every day for two years. I remembered how that was that moment when I was drunk and I didn't have to feel like who I was and I got to put this armor on that made me cool or better. I wanted that. And then when I was finally kind of released from my restraints and, you know, I was 16, 17, I went back to that bottle and I found exactly what I was looking for. Validation. I felt like Superman. And that led to, well, if that works, what else is there? So it became whatever drug I could find, I experimented with and I loved every single one of them because it made me feel better than me. And... I just remember going through that, going through college, like having this laissez faire, like love of everybody, like I was a chameleon. I was whoever you wanted me to be in that moment. I wanted your affection as a friend. I needed people to like me because I didn't like myself. I didn't understand what loving me was. And then finally when it all came to a breaking point, when I was twenty four, I I was pretty much at my lowest point and I was working for dad. I was out of I was out of college. I was scared every single day. I tried to stop using pills every single day, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I was it, bro- it broke my spirit until finally I was like, my girlfriend at the time was going to leave, and I said... Uh, all right, I'll go to rehab and it had snowed at her parents house and we went down there and we played with the dogs in the snow and she went inside and I had this thought I was like I can do this on my own that same thought that just ran in my head. I can do this on my own and I was killing myself And I sneezed and when I did I sneezed blood on the snow And I sneezed again. I sneezed another patch of blood on the snow It looked like somebody shot me from behind two angel wings on the side of this sidewalk And I said I can't do this anymore I am worth nothing but blood in the snow. And I was. In, I called my dad, because him and I had a very tumultuous relationship because he saw everything that was happening from a distance and didn't know how to help me. And I said, I said, hey dad. He said, all right, what is it? Is Are you getting married? Are you going to rehab or is she pregnant? So he felt real high when me at that moment, I think. And I said, uh, I said, it's not, so I'm going to rehab. He said, great. And I spent 84 days at Palmetto Rehab Facility. Greatest greatest and worst 84 days of my life. But it it showed me that there was something more. And it replaced that hole inside of me with a God of my understanding that I could seek love and justification and happiness from. And I, I just remember being the worst big brother. Because I was like, I wanted to be somebody that they would look up to and I was the thing that they didn't want to be. And I carried that with me for a long time too. But through this walk, and as we'll talk more about it, God has done nothing but lay breadcrumbs throughout of his, of his love, of his grace, of his plan, through all this stuff that has given me peace, has given me hope has most importantly given me grace and has reminded me that no matter how many times I fall as long as I turn towards him and stand back up and surround myself with good people there is absolutely nothing that I cannot get through and he loves
2: me he loves all of us through every single thing so that's that's really when, when I met you in uh, August of 17 that was you were coming you were you were coming out of rehab you were sober right three
3: years three years
2: sober and now you're 10 so praise jesus for that obviously i I had had a relationship with, with your father i knew your mom and then i knew of you three right um but i met you on a retreat in august of 17 and i was just there was this affinity that i had towards you you know like like I want to get to know this guy, right? And I remember getting this text. So, so for the next, whatever, however long this podcast is going to last, I want to try to do this timeline justice because I want, I want the viewers to see or the audience to see uh, that God had His hand in every step along this journey. Um, August 21st, 2017, you texted me and you said, "Hey Corey, I would love to get together soon and soak up all that you have." Thank you for reaching out to me, and I'm excited for this new chapter. I'm about a year and a half into my walk. What you were asking for was, I would like to be discipled. Well, I, I was in the middle of being a disciple. Still am, but I was in the beginning phases of that. So, you know, the Bible says that Matthew 28:19 says, Go and make disciples uh, of, all, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching, I was being taught, and I, I failed. At, at teaching you so, um, but God has grace and mercy. So now we're we're you know seven years later we're we're back here reading His Word and, and talking about Him and getting to experience all the things that we've gotten to experience. But at that point, that's what you were looking for, and that's what you needed. And you didn't and you didn't you didn't get it. You asked for it and you didn't get it. And so uh, and I I believe that that had some effects. in the the years to come you know uh and the reason why i say that not to put any shame on me it's just it's the the importance of discipleship and i hope that when we get through with this whole podcast you will see what i'm talking about there wasn't a whole lot of uh communication between us in the next couple years to come and and that's where in, in in 2019 taylor you you got to a place where you're like well how did i get here and now you're in rehab
1: yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I went to treatment in June of 2019. Um, it was a, it was the, at that time, the, in my mind, the worst and the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. Didn't want to be there. Knew I needed to be there. Because um, after years of struggling, my my family came together and decided to, finally confront me and we had a conversation and I Decided to get some help um, I was at the lowest point of my life, you know, you're dealing with addiction The depression and anxiety. I mean, I remember days on end where I basically wouldn't get out of bed and uh, It was very dark t- times and I was isolated. I didn't know what to turn. I've always had um, faith always always believed in God, always prayed, but I felt like I had nobody to turn to um, because of what I was doing on a daily basis and I was ashamed of it. And it kept digging, I kept just digging deeper and deeper and deeper into this hole that I felt like I would never be able to get out of. Um, Then my family comes together and I decided to get some help and I want to backtrack and say, our dad had never dealt with addiction with himself or a family member, and anybody that's never dealt with it, you don't know he did for Thomas and myself. He was there and supported 100% in a way that he. There was no. It was. He wasn't mad. He wasn't. No. Angry,
2: no condemnation. It was no
1: condemnation. It was, it was. Let's get you some help. All loving of that father. Loving. Loving. That's it. Um, and. I went to treatment. Um, I remember sitting in those rooms, not knowing what my life would look like from there forward. Um, It was, that point was the worst part, part of my life that I'd ever, and the worst thing at that time I thought I'd ever been through, but ended up being the first stepping stone to me getting, Completely sober a couple years later. Um It You know, I don't know if you want Matt to chime in before we talk about the second st- the second, you know, but
2: what well, we're gonna get there. Yeah
1: so I went to I Went to I went up to a place in South Haven, Mississippi, and it was an old Holiday Inn in the middle of the city and um they. It wasn't. Yes, it was. It wasn't very faith-based, but we had certain meetings and people were trying to come together and read the word and do those things, and um, and I did and I participated and um, had a lot of quiet time at that place. Um, knew I needed something to change in my life for you know in a big big way or. It, I just, I didn't see a way out. But as I stayed there longer, um, things got better. Things got better. I started to see a light at the end of the tunnel where I thought I did. Um, I was just tired of living the way that I was living. And I remember sitting there thinking, I was in my room alone one night. And I remember sitting there thinking, you know, all of, you know, in, in this life to me, the way I felt then is the way I feel now is the things that matter in life are your faith, your family, and your relationships. And all three of those were down the drain. Everything else is replaceable. Everything else in life to me is replaceable. And I'd, I had broken chains at all three of those. They were all in the dumps. And, and I realized at that point, I didn't live through with it, but I, I remember thinking at that point, if things are left up to Taylor, things start to crumble. So I've got to do something different. I've got to lean on, on, on God. I've got to lean on other people. Um, and I knew it at that point. It just took me years from that point to really dive in and, and come through with that, that thought that I had. And it's since I did, it's changed my life.
2: Okay, so this question's for Matt. Um, you're, you're the younger brother. You've watched both brothers now go through addiction. Talk about it from, from your perspective.
0: It was tough having to watch them go through that and um not really knowing how to help them. Um like Taylor said earlier, I you know, not I, I was I was blessed to not have the addictive personality and you know, I've never tried to hold that against Taylor or Thomas. I've always tried to understand and uh I always just wanted to be there for them and I wanted them you know to be okay um of course i was a good bit younger and i was living in shreveport when thomas was going through rehab so i missed a lot of that um but when i moved back home from living in lake village arkansas and in 2019 was the year that we had started noticing things were not right with with taylor and uh me and dad had several conversations um about it and, and and me and thomas did as well but taylor was taylor had, had figured out he had isolated himself and he was living in Treeport, so he could you know kind of get away with with certain things and um you know i was i was truly worried about him um but as as far as the the weight or or how it affected me it was it was i had kind of programmed it in my like mind that all right like i've got to stay strong and stay straight because i'm not gonna allow myself to fall down that same path and um it was tough um watching them go through that and um and helping them but it it also was i think looking back it was it was a it ended up being like a little bit of a a burden on me and nothing against taylor or thomas or any of that but i felt like all right maybe this is backwards because i'm the youngest but i felt like i had to hold it all together for them and our family and uh you know that that it was tough uh trying to carry everything um i can
2: imagine so we'll go back to the timeline a little bit. Um so 2019 and the at the end of 2019, maybe at the beginning of 2020, you were asked to go on a men's retreat. I was. And you were scheduled to go on the what we now call the the, the uh Stand Firm COVID retreat. So I was directing that retreat in April. It was scheduled for uh for excuse me, of March of of 2020. Um, March the 19th, I think. And we were uh, Covid. On March the 13th, the the world shut down. I remember we were having our last uh, directors meeting. Our phones, the women were on a retreat. Our phones start blowing up. The world shuts down, and then Covid, you know, uh, starts to run rampant. Uh, so the retreat got canceled. And then uh, in the middle of that middle in the middle of May uh, of 2020, i kind of got got wind that, that Thomas wasn't really in a great spot um, and so Thomas says he still calls it the principal's office, but uh, a buddy of mine and myself sat Thomas down uh, and we were just trying to love on him and encourage him and to uh, bring him back into fold. Thomas, you want to elaborate on the principal's office a
3: little bit? Yeah. Um, You know, when I had first gotten sober, I, uh, to be honest, I hated God. I thought He hated me. And I deconstructed all the ideas of the Christian upbringing that I had had. And I was just like, I'll pray to something else, but I'm not praying, praying to Jesus. And I just remember this animosity. I felt like God was this angry kid on a, On, like, a a mountain shining a magnifying glass, and I was an ant, and he was just trying to burn me. And so, we go a few years, and I get invited to that retreat where I met Corey, and I had an experience with the Creator that wasn't that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced, where I saw who He was, and I was on fire for Jesus. And a little bit of time goes by, and if you don't water a plant, it begins to wither. And that's not a, a dig at anybody in the church, that's me. Because it starts with me watering, it starts with me seeking. And I would gotten married to that same girl that was with me. Um, we had had a son. I continued along the path of, you know, I was staying sober. I was working a different job. I'd left dad and insurance to go work in a hospice company to deal with death and dying and from there i felt like i was finally on my own i was my own man and i could make my own decisions and the the fun thing about sobriety and getting away from those addictions is that you replace them with a lot of different things and i replaced them with myself money and looking outside of my marriage for validation. I'm in sales, I'm around people all the time, and it just kind of flowed that way. And I made a lot of poor decisions. And I put myself in a lot of places I should not have been. And regardless if, you know, my relationship could have been saved, that's not where I was, It's not what I wanted to do. And regardless if we should have ever been that I was not in a mature place to do things the right way. Because my, my ex-wife is a wonderful mother and a wonderful person. And I burned my life to the ground yet again in the pursuit of my own selfish needs and desires. And I found myself wanting to drive my car into trees while I was out working. I found myself waking up wondering why I was here, what my purpose for life actually is, and if I'm even supposed to be here. And would the world be better if I wasn't? And I found myself in the principal's office, the way I say it. Where Corey and Matt spoke to me like men, asked me who I, how I was, what I, what I wanted, how they could help me. And to be honest, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. I was miserable and I was loving the self pity party. I was stuck in that rut and there was really nothing that I felt that these men who were just there to give me love and grace and show me what Jesus truly is, I was unable to receive it. And I found myself living at my mom's house with you know, my son and a toddler and I happened to jump onto a an alcoholics meeting at zoom this time and uh, I listened to a guy share by happenstance and ended up reaching out to him and he helped realign some things because that old idea of like I hate God was back and I didn't want anything to do with anybody that believed in him and I got set back on a path of self discovery of, of understanding where my selfishness had led down to this path and uh, I just kind of, I kind of pulled myself out of that and started trusting in a creator. Again, not Jesus, because I'd had that encounter with him. He didn't work for me. Maybe this will. And I just kind of bebopped along and dealt with the divorce and dealt with living separately with two small children and, you know, hating myself because I would lived through that. And here I was doing it to them. And... I couldn't I couldn't reconcile that shame, guilt, remorse. And I was broken for a long time. And thankfully now God has saw fit to like bring me through all of that. The beautiful thing about all of that pain that I caused was that my dad and I hadn't spoken for like six months. We had a very, like I said before, tumultuous relationship. I'd always felt like I was on the outside, but he loved me. He loved me so much, and I didn't realize it until, until way later, almost too late. Like even before I went to rehab, he caught me stealing his pills and he, came, he, he sat me down and said, I wanna help you. And he tried before sending me to rehab, and it only took me a few more months before I was back at it, but Dad was with me all through that. And he didn't ever want to see us hurt or in pain or make bad decisions, and he was hard on me because I wouldn't listen. That pain that I caused in that that failed marriage that I'm responsible for, led to me calling my dad for the first time in six months and him answering on two rings, hearing it in my voice and telling me it's going to be okay. And through that, I got to spend time with my dad. I got to reconnect with my dad. And I got to be friends with my dad. And he got to be my dad. Like it never had been at my, because of me and my, my problems and my selfishness. and it led to something wonderful in the midst of some terrible things not just mine but him passing
2: so we're gonna talk about that a little bit so december 2020 we're we're in the middle of COVID, you know uh the the world is is back to whatever the new normal is right people are back to work uh those things but December of 2020 was was not a new normal for you, for your family. Your dad's diagnosed with COVID, December 2020, right? Yes. Right. Your dad's in pretty good shape. You know, he was an athlete. He's he was never overweight. He was always he just always looked fit to me, right? And so you think, hey, man, my dad's resilient. He's gonna get through this. And um, he stay He's in the hospital. 2020. Is that right? December he goes to the hospital in january
0: yeah in january january Um,
2: 2021
0: yeah so i i was with him when he when he had covid uh we were at the camp and, and there a lot of the members a lot everybody had covid and and he had it and uh he went 10 days and it was like you know we were all worried about dad you know given you know he had been dealing with a lot of arthritis and and a lot of different stuff you know he was high risk if he got COVID um, and he made it 10 days and we all were thinking that you know he's he's going to make it through it been um, that day 10 got to his lungs and um, he had to go to, to Glenwood
2: and he never came out
0: yeah so when he when they when he first went to glenwood they put him on oxygen for several days and he seemed to be doing really well um i remember we were me and taylor had had been talking to dad and uh, it was in the middle of prime hunting season you know if dad wouldn't wouldn't have been at the hospital he would have been at the camp and uh we didn't really know what to do as far as should we go or not, um, hunting. But I remember a text he sent me and Taylor, it was, Y'all need to go to the camp. Y'all need to hunt and go kill a big buck. And uh, I think he sent us a bunch of deer emojis or something, like he's going to be fine. And sure enough, we went, we ended up going to the camp that weekend. And uh, I don't remember if it was Friday or Saturday night, but our stepmom, of vet, called us and told us that. Uh, they had put them on the ventilator
2: and so uh, February the 6th I get a I get a text from James Michael Stevens just asked if I had talked to Thomas this before I even really met you two guys and um, he said Darren's not in good shape and uh, so I called Thomas and and uh, we talked and, and I think y'all were going y'all were doing Christmas Y'all had not been able to do Christmas. You were going to, to one of the uh, family's houses to do Christmas on February the 6th. And I think sometime in between that time, and uh, I called you one time. I was still director of the retreat, just checking on you, and I prayed for you. I, I believe I remember that. Uh, yeah, I remember it vividly. Um, it was, yeah. I talked to Thomas that day, and then about an hour later, he, called, he texted me back. Can my brother Taylor go on the men's retreat, and we had, we were about ten men over capacity at the time, and I was like, sure, hey, why not? You know, the reason why I, I talk about this is because God was putting these things in place, right? So, the retreat was was in April of 2021, and and um, your dad stays on the vent for what six weeks, seventy hmm. something yeah. days, seventy yeah. something about- days. Uh And March 26, 2021, he passes from COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the grace of God, on April the 15th, Matt and Taylor both attend the men's retreat. And Thomas, you're you're on the team with us, Mm -hmm. right? And so he's got all three of the sons in a place Where God is drawing, He's drawing you three to Himself. It didn't feel like it at the time, but I'm so thankful that 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 Taylor said yes and that Matt just continued to stay on that list throughout this 18-month process. You know, I want to pause right here. I hate to do a break uh, with the audience, but I don't want to get too too long-winded. This is going to be a second episode because there's there's beauty coming from these ashes, Um, and so. I want to I want to stop here, and we we're going to pick up with uh, you know I, I want to be able to talk a little bit more about about your dad's passing and and, and how that affected you guys, but uh, we are getting a little bit uh, long-winded here, so um, I want to thank you guys for for tuning in, and I and I I just ask you to wait till next week and uh, hear all the beautiful things that have happened throughout all these trials. So uh, I hope you guys have a great day.